Hello, everyone. My name is Bree Corda. I'm a senior here and have been asked to give, my, give the second Latin talk. I'm going to start by sharing my story. I was raised as a cradle Catholic, but as I grew older, faith grew the stigma of being uncool or unpopular. If you participated in Mass, or God forbid, even sang at Mass, you were deemed as weird or a Jesus freak. Freshman year, as I know we've all lived through and can relate to, gets pretty lonely sometimes. Friend groups are being established, trying to find your identity, striving to fit in. Like everyone else, I wanted to be known, loved, and seen. And let me tell you, being principal's kid does not help. You're known and loved, and you're definitely seen, but for all the wrong reasons. Anytime it would snow maybe half an inch, I would get texts from people I wanted to know and love me saying, dude, tell your dad to cancel school. After four years, I can confidently say he is not the one that calls school, and then I'd never talk to them ever again. I never felt loved or seen and would grasp any way I could to find that attention. Yep, I'll do your conjugamos if it means once a week you text me. Just kidding, maestro. I had friends, but at what costs? Did we really know each other's hearts or care about each other past the Hoko groups and the weekly gossip sessions to talk about, did you see how her hair looked? I could never be me. I literally had the most obnoxious side part until like halfway through my sophomore year, by the way. I can't speak for all those girls when I say this, but I do believe it to be true. We were talking off our own insecurities. What I didn't love about myself was all of a sudden what I started to hate about anyone else. COVID shut down a quarter of my freshman year and praise Jesus it did. These hurts and wounds carried into my sophomore year. It was the same thing, striving to be known and seen. And trust me, I was gonna make it happen at any cost. If I could get that boy to Snapchat me for a week, then man, am I loved. Or if I took a picture with her at the football game and she put on her Visco, then yep, that means she thinks I'm pretty. But what happens when she deletes it off her phone the next morning? Then how are you gonna feel about yourself? And what's so sad about high school is I know everyone knows what I'm talking about. I had an addiction to approval and was using anyone I could as my dopamine. I felt loved, but who did I have to hurt in the process? Junior year, I had established a name for myself, and high school was finally being lived up to everything people make it out to be. I was thinking, all right, here we go. This isn't so bad after all. I went on fall retreat that year and began to rediscover who God was and the power he held in my life. But did I want anyone to know I had discovered that? No, of course not. Being Catholic still wasn't something that was admired and praised. It was embarrassing. I once had a guy tell me, you're actually pretty for a Catholic. Like, what does that even mean? But in the moment, I was probably like, oh man, he thinks I'm pretty. But about my faith, it made me feel this small. I had another guy who I had a mutual friend with. We hung out once, it was great, he was super cool. He told our friend that night, oh my gosh, dude, she's so cool, where's she been my whole life? But then when he found out I had morals and wasn't gonna hook up with him, he was like, oh, well, that's too bad. And we never talked again. I was annoyed. I was like, this is so stupid, of course, because this isn't what the church supports. Now I can't date this kid. But let me tell you, looking back on it, I dodged a bullet. When I hold my morals and values strong, it weeds out all the guys who are not worthy of me and not worthy of my time. Because I won't hook up with any pretty face that walks in front of me, 
I've started to attract guys who I actually like talking to, are kind, are respectful, I actually like spending time with. The list could go on forever. And who wouldn't want someone like that to share this life with? No girl wants a boy who can't hold the conversation past, dang, that sucks, and wow, that's crazy. But once you start to raise your standards, people around you will follow. I started to realize that not all men were the same, and that there were and still are men in my life striving after Christ and the attractiveness that quality holds. Let me tell you how valuable men like that are. Men, you are irreplaceable. Junior year is when temptations really start to get difficult. Dad, go ahead and close your ears for this next part. The devil's voice gets a little bit louder and harder to distinguish. If the devil was standing right in front of you, red creature, horns, tails, spoken in an annoyingly weird voice, you would obviously be like, no, get behind me, Satan. Like, screw you, dude, I know who you are. But when his voice is disguised as those who are your friends and supposedly want what's best for you, then what are you going to start to believe? Believe me, I know as well as everyone, that is a heavy cross to carry. Everyone will always tell you, oh no, God won't give you a cross you can't carry. But yes, he literally will, and he does. He gave his own son a cross he couldn't carry. He fell underneath it three times, a matter of fact. The difference was who, are, who was around him when he fell. The soldiers who were laughing at him, pushing the cross on his back, trying to make Jesus look like a fool. But then there was also Simon. He helped him carry the cross for our Lord so he might not fall again. High school is a good test of who's going to be the soldiers. Standing next to you, pushing your cross onto your shoulders, that's already heavy enough. And who's going to be Simon for you? Lightening the load and helping you on the journey. Who are the people in your life who say, hey, come to chapel with me for a few minutes? Or hey, I'm praying for you. Talk to me if you need anything. Trust me, I fall underneath the weight of my cross constantly. There have been times in my life where I'm like, nah, God, I'm good. I'll stay on the ground with my cross. I don't really feel like getting up. Hey, thanks, though. Who was I becoming? Yeah, I was searching for a God-fearing man, but was I a girl who was worthy of a man like that? Yeah, I was saying, oh, I'm Catholic. I love Jesus. Look what he's done in my life. But was I showing others that I believe that? Junior year, I was very one foot in, one foot out. Was I truly fulfilled? No, but I thought I was. This was also the year I finally committed to play Division I soccer at the University of North Texas. I fulfilled the one dream I'd held on to since I was a kid. In 28 years of the program, North Texas has won 16 conference championships and is the only school besides North Carolina to never have had a losing season. I thought, this is great. Who wouldn't go to school here? This was awesome to me, and I was like, yep, I can finally play Division I soccer. This is all I've ever wanted. But did anything change past posting my commitment to Instagram and people forgetting about it again in a week? I thought when I finally got a scholarship to a D1 school, all my problems would be solved. I always thought to myself, when I get this, then I'll be happy. Or if people knew I was good enough to play D1, they'd have to love me, right? Let me be living proof that is not the case. Division I is great until you fall out of love with the sport. And this last fall, I did. It was getting in the way of my relationships. I missed homecoming and winter formal this year for games out of town. And gas is really expensive to drive to Omaha three nights a week for practice. I stopped loving that atmosphere and I stopped caring. 
Soccer is what I've put my whole identity in my whole life. Falling out of love with soccer was like falling out of love with myself. I remember I called my sister and told her I think I hate soccer. I don't love it anymore, but if I quit, my life would be ruined. My college wouldn't be paid for. I've put so much time into this. I'd lose my teammates. My coaches would be so mad at me. What's Chad going to think? He's going to kill me. I thought my life was over. Who would I be if I didn't play soccer? What would people think of me? I went and sat in Newman that night and cried to God, how could you have done this to me? Why would you take this from me? Finally, I got to the point where I said, God, I have to trust you because I have nothing left. And I had nothing left. I started to think about not only soccer, but the decisions I was making. Was I doing myself justice? Was I doing my peers and those who look up to me justice? If you've ever experienced this, I am sorry. It may not even be a sport, but whatever it is you place your identity in. I want to be the one that tells you, you are worth so much more than that. Since then, I have fallen back in love with the game, but had that loss not happened to me, I would never be able to comprehend now God's love for me. You are loved for who you are, not what you are capable of. Let me say it again, you are loved for who you are, not what you are capable of. It took me four years of high school to realize, and I wish someone would have told me sooner. I had a choice to make in my life. Was I gonna change, pick up my cross and follow Christ, or was I gonna continue to allow this heavy cross to lay on my shoulders? I always thought if my life was converted to Christ, it'd be because I fell off a mountain, angels caught me, put me in Arkansas, and I'd have no choice to, but to become a nun. Unfortunately, that's not how it happened, but there is still time. But it was my small yeses to Christ that changed my life tremendously. Yes to fall retreat. Yes to going on seek. Yes to discipleship groups. It was these small yeses that changed my outlook on life. I wasn't trying harder to love others. And I wasn't trying harder to be a good person. It just happened. That judgmental freshman girl who would have played his heart then made fun of her shoes, all of a sudden began to realize the gift that the people around her are. I gained some of the most incredible friendships I have ever found. And I didn't have to go far to find them. A lot of them were people I already knew. But when you allow the Lord to be the center of those relationships, the relationship only deepens. The way I started to love others changed. The way I spoke to others changed. And for the first time, my heart stopped having an inclination towards my old ways. The great void in my life had finally been filled. I found my purpose in life in the deepest sense of joy. I always thought I'd never be able to give up my old lifestyle. I used to have crazy FOMO, and I was having too much fun doing what I was doing. I thought people would forget about me if I stopped living the way society told me to. When I would go away for soccer weekends, I'd come back to school on Monday and never have any idea what anyone was talking about because I was gone the whole weekend. I hated that. All of a sudden, I was taken back to my younger self, not feeling loved or included. I only thought about the things I would lose giving my life to Christ. But what I was missing was what would I gain? Jesus doesn't expect you to give your life to him completely on your own. We need him to guide us through the hardships that come with change. All he asks of you is your time. Two minutes, great, he'll take it. 10 minutes, awesome. Half an hour, super. 
He'll take it, and he's so excited to spend that time with you. See, God can't save us without us. How is he supposed to work in your life if you aren't cooperating? He can do it. He's God, but why try and fight it? I imagine heaven like a test. We've all had that feeling when you get to school and someone's like, hey, did you study for that today? And you're like, what? You frantically text your mom, try to get her to call you out so you don't have to take the test. But then the administration takes your phone, and now you flunked the test and you don't have your phone. I don't want anyone to get to heaven and think, shoot, there was a test? I didn't study, I didn't know. God wants you to study down here so he can spend eternity with you. All he asks is some time. For me, it's the chapel, giving Jesus at least a few minutes every day to hear about my day and letting him love me and fulfill every wound and heartache of that day and week. Letting him fulfill every worry and anxiety because God, I can't, but you can. I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I've been. And I'm walking to the foot of the cross on Calvary. I want to get to the foot of the cross and be able to stand in front of Jesus and say, hey man, here I am. I tried my best. There's no greater love than our Lord's. I actually stole this from Father Sassy, but even when he was scourged, betrayed, and crucified, he was making excuses for us. As he was about to die the worst death known to man, he looked to his father and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they've done. He was making excuses for all of us so he might live with us again after we put him through misery. What a love. I imagine the father's way, I imagine my own dad's love. My dad isn't perfect, but he's pretty dang close. After I've played either the best game of my life or the worst game of my life, I go after the game and I look for my dad. No matter how I played, I know he's gonna say, sweetheart, I'm proud of you. When I come home late from practice, he's waiting, to, he, he's waiting in the kitchen to hear all about it, even though it's 10.30 at night and he would rather have gone to bed two hours ago. Or when I'm up late studying for a test, and he has Starbucks waiting in the kitchen for me in the morning. If this man can love me that much, how much more do you think an all-loving, merciful father loves me? God's love is perfect with no fault or flaw, but my dad, who would drive through the night just to be where I was, does not have a perfect love. It might not be your dad. It might be a coach, a teacher, your mom, whoever it is who has loved you well. Their love is the smallest fraction of the love God has for you even though you might not think they love you a whole lot. I remember this past fall, we just won a big football game. The student section was going crazy, and my dad told everyone, hey, don't storm the field, whatever. But I remember everyone around me saying, I'll see you in detention Monday morning, as they took off running. I wanted to go with them. I was talking to a football boy, it was his birthday, and I wanted to go celebrate with the senior class one last time. But I had a choice to make. Who is I going to follow, my dad or my peers? It looks bad if not even this CAO's kid listens to him. So as I was standing in front of the crowd, I stopped and just let everyone run past me. I watched as everyone did a mosh pit in the middle, full of excitement, and there I was standing on the sideline next to my dad, just the two of us. I can't even remember what we were talking about, but I remember him looking at me and just telling me he loves me. And that meant more to me than anything else going on around me. Had I disobeyed him and ran with everyone else, I would have missed out on that moment with my dad. 
standing there laughing, enjoying being on the football field one last time together. That's how God is. Society's gonna tell you to run. No, it's fine, the consequences aren't that bad, just go ahead. But who are you gonna choose? The God who loves you so dearly and just wants to tell you he loves you? Or are you gonna run and go get your feet stepped on by the football boy's cleats and come back wounded and hurt? Luckily, God gives us confession for when you do get wounded and you do get hurt. Every time you go into confession, Jesus says, here's my heart again, please try your best not to break it. But, you're, but we're human and we fail. And we all fall, fall underneath the weight of our own cross. Yet his love for us is unwavering. See, the devil plays two truths and a lie with us daily. You missed your shot, you lost the game, you're worthless. You didn't study for the test, you flunked the test, you aren't smart. You made a bad decision last weekend, you got caught, God's disappointed in you and he doesn't love you. I wanna be the one who tells you God is not disappointed in you, he's not. The things that have happened to you matter and God isn't okay with the ways you've been hurt in the past. He loves you so dearly and he longs for your heart every day. You might think to yourself, no Brie, I've done X, Y, and Z, I could never follow God, I'm too far gone. Look at me, you are never too far gone. Am I worthy to stand up here and give this talk? No, I'm not. I've sinned and made mistakes that I thought were unforgivable. To now stand in front of you and preach this message almost feels wrong, but I'm willing. You don't have to be worthy, you just have to be willing. Just be willing to give Christ a chance in your life. When I was praying about this testimony, I asked God, what do you want me to say, Lord? How can I be your hands and your feet? What I got from him was this, tell them how much I love them. I wish I could take every single one of you out to coffee and sit you down and pound it into your brain how loved you are. You are chosen and you are worth it. You're set apart, you're pursued, you're redeemed and you are forgiven. I've given God a million reasons not to love me. None of them have changed his mind. How good is our God? If you haven't been listening for the past 20 minutes, that's fine. But I wanna remind you right now of who you are and whose you are. You are loved and you are his beloved. I'm gonna close out with two questions. Who is and who are the Simons in your life? Who are the people in your life that help you on the trek to the foot of the cross? And what would you gain from giving your life to Christ? Thank you.